Hello there and welcome to Monday Motivation, which is a supplementary episode of my main podcast called Reality Responsibility. In this podcast, this extra episode, every Monday I uh, read a chapter from a um, personal development book in the public domain. Uh, This time we are doing The Magic Story. This is part two. Uh, This book is in only two parts, uh, so if you didn't listen to part one, go and listen to part one first. Um, This is the actual story that the guy was waiting to hear. I've already pre-recorded that bit before I've done my intro, Um, so rather than waffle on any longer, let's get on with part two. The Magic Story, part two, in ye oldie scrapbookie. (laughs) Well, in ye oldie scrapbook, but uh, it's got an E on the end of book. So let's get on with it. Inasmuch as I have evolved from my experience the one great secret of success for all worldly undertakings, I deem it wise, now that the number of my days is nearly counted, to give to the generations that are to follow me the benefit of whatsoever knowledge I possess. I do not apologise for the manner of my expression, nor for lack of liter- literary merit, the latter being, I wot, its own apology. Tools much heavier than the pen have been my portion, and, moreover, the weight of years has somewhat pulsed hand and brain. Nevertheless, the fact I can tell, and that I deem the meat within the nut. What mattereth it, in what manner the shell be broken, so that the meat be obtained and rendered useful? I doubt not that I shall use in the telling expressions that have clung to my memory since childhood for when men attain the number of my years happenings of youth are like to be clearer to their perceptions than are events of recent date nor doth it matter much how a thought is expressed if it be if it be wholesome and helpful and findeth the understanding much have i wearied my brain anent the question how best to describe this recipe for success that i have discovered and it seemeth advisable to give it as it came to me, that is, if I relate somewhat of the story of my life, the directions for agglomerating the substances and supplying the seasoning for the accomplishment of the dish will plainly be perceived. Happen they may, and that men may be born generations after I am dust, who will live to bless me for the words I write. My father, then, was a seafaring man who, early in life, forsook his vocation and settled on a plantation in the colony of Virginia, where, some years thereafter, I was born, which event took place in the year 1642, and that was over a hundred years ago. Better for my father had it been, had he hearkened to the wise advice of my mother, that he remain in the calling of his education, but he would not have it so, and the good vessel captain was bartered for the land I spoke of. Here beginneth the first lesson to be acquired. Man should not be blinded to whatsoever merit exists in the opportunity which he hath in hand, remembering that a thousand promises for the future should weigh as naught against the possession of a single piece of silver. When I had achieved ten years, my mother's soul took flight, and two years thereafter my worthy father followed her. I, being there only begotten, was left alone. Howbeit, 
There were friends who, for a time, cared for me, that is to say, they offered me a home beneath their roof, a thing which I took advantage of for the space of five months. From my father's estate there came to me naught, but in the wisdom that came with increasing years I convinced myself that his friend, under whose roof I lingered for some time, had defrauded him, and therefore me. Of the time from the age of twelve and a half until I was three and twenty, I will make no recital here, since that time have naught to do with this tale. But some time after, having in my possession the sum of sixteen guineas, ten which I had saved from the fruits of my labour, I took ship to Boston town, where I began work, first as a cooper, and thereafter as a ship's carpenter, although always after the craft was docked for the sea was not amongst my desires. Fortune will sometimes smile upon an intended victim because of pure perversity of temper. Such was one of my experiences. I prospered, and, at seven-and-twenty, owned the yard wherein, less than four years earlier, I had worked for hire. Fortune, howbeit, is a jade who must be coerced. She will not be coddled. Here beginneth the second lesson to be acquired. Fortune is ever elusive, and can only be retained by force. Deal with her tenderly, and she will forsake you for a stronger man. In that, methinks, she is not unlike other women of my knowledge. About this time, disaster, which is one of the heralds of broken spirits and lost resolve, paid me a visit. Fire ravaged my yards, leaving nothing in its blackened paths but debts, which I had not the coin wherewith to defray. I laboured with my acquaintances, seeking assistance for a new start, but the fire that had burned my competence seemed also to have consumed their sympathies. So it happened, within a short time, that not only had I lost all, but I was hopelessly indebted to others, and for that they cast me into prison. It is possible that I might have rallied my losses but for this last indignity, which broke down my spirit so that I became utterly despondent. Upward of a year was I detained within the jail, and when I did come forth it was not the same hopeful, happy man, content with his lot, and with confidence in the world and its people who had entered there. Life has many pathways, and of them by far the greater number lead downward. Some are precipitous, Others are less abrupt, but ultimately, no matter what inclination the angle may be fixed, they arrive at the same destination. Failure. And here beginneth the third lesson. Failure exists only in the grave. Man, being alive, hath not yet failed. Always he may turn about and ascend by the same path he descended by, and there may be one that is less abrupt, albeit longer of achievement, and more adaptable to his condition. When I came forth from prison, I was penniless. In all the world I possessed naught beyond the poor garments which covered me, and a walking-stick which the turnkey had permitted me to retain, since it was worthless. Being a skilled workman, howbeit, I speedily found employment at good wages, but, having eaten of the fruit of worldly advantage, dissatisfaction possessed me. I became morose and sullen, whereat, to cheer my spirits, and for the sake of forgetting the losses I had sustained, I passed my evenings at the tavern. Not that I drank over much of liquor, 
except on occasion, for I have ever been somewhat abstemious, but that I could laugh and sing and parry wit and badinage with my ne'er-do-well companions, and here might be included the fourth lesson. Seek comrades among the industrious, for those who are idle will sap your energies from you. It was my pleasure at that time to relate, upon slight provocation, the tale of my disasters, and to rail against the men whom I deemed to have wronged me, because they had seen fit not to come to my aid. Moreover, I found childish delight in filching from my employer each day a few moments of the time for which he paid me. Such a thing is less honest than downright theft. This habit continued and grew upon me until the day dawned which found me not only without employment, but also without character, which meant that I could not hope to find work with any other employer in Boston town. It was then that I regarded myself a failure. I can liken my condition at that time for a naught more similar than that of a man who, descending the steep side of a mountain, loses his foothold. The farther he slides, the faster he goes. I have also heard this condition described by the word Ishmaelite, which I understand to be a man whose hand is against everybody, and who thinks that the hands of every other man are against him. And here beginneth the fifth lesson. The Ishmaelite and the leper are the same, since both are abominations in the sight of man, albeit they differ much, in that the former may be restored to perfect health. The former is entirely the result of imagination. The latter has poison in his blood. I will not discourse at length upon the gradual degeneration of my energies. It is not meet ever to dwell much upon misfortunes, which saying is also worthy of remembrance. It is enough if I add that the day came when I possessed naught wherewith to purchase food and raiment, and I found, uh, and I found myself like unto a pauper, save at infrequent times when I could earn a few pence, or, mayhap, a shilling. Steady employment I could not secure, so I became emaciated in body, and naught but a skeleton in spirit. My condition, then, was deplorable. Not so much for the body, be it said, as for the mental part of me, which was sick unto death. In my imagination I deemed myself ostracised by the whole world, for I had sunk very low indeed, and here beginneth the sixth and final lesson to be acquired, which cannot be told in one sentence, nor in one paragraph, but must needs be adapted from the remainder of this tale. Well do I remember my awakening, for it came in the night, when, in truth, I did awake from sleep. My bed was a pile of shavings in the rear of the cooper shop, where once I had worked for hire. My roof was the pyramid of casks underneath which I had established myself. The night was cold and I was chilled, albeit, paradoxically, I had been dreaming of light and warmth and of the repletion of good things. You will say, when I relate the effect the vision had on me, that my mind was affected. So be it, for it is the hope that the minds of others might be likewise influenced, which disposes me to undertake the labour of this writing. It was the dream which converted me to the belief, nay, to the knowledge, that I was possessed of two identities. 
and it was my own better self that afforded me the assistance for which I had pleaded in vain for my acquaintances. I have heard this condition described by the word double. Nevertheless, that word does not comprehend my meaning. A double can be naught more than a double, neither half being possessed of individuality. But I will not philosophize, since philosophy is naught but a suit of garments for the decoration of a dummy figure. Moreover, it was not the dream itself which affected me. It was the impression made by it, and the influence that it exerted over me, which accomplished my enfranchisement. In a word, then, I encouraged my other identity. After toiling through a tempest of snow and wind, I peered into a window and saw that other being. He was rosy with health. Before him, on the hearth, blazed a fire of logs. There was conscious power and force in his demeanour. He was physically and mentally muscular. I rapped timidly upon the door, and he bade me enter. There was a not unkindly smile of derision in his eyes, and he motioned me to a chair by the fire. But he uttered no word of welcome, and when I had warned myself, I went forth again into the tempest, burdened with the shame which the contrast between us had forced upon me. It was then that I awoke, and here cometh the strange part of my tale, for when I did awake, I was not alone. There was a presence with me, intangible to others, I discovered later, but real to me. The presence was in my likeness, yet was it strikingly unlike? The brow, not more lofty than my own, yet seemed more round and full, the eyes clear, direct, and filled with purpose, glowed with the enthusiasm and resolution, the lips, chin, eye, the whole contour of face and figure was dominant and determined. He was calm, steadfast, and self-reliant. I was cowering, filled with nervous tremblings and fearsome of intangible shadows. When the presence turned away, I followed, and throughout the day I never lost sight of it, save when it disappeared for a time beyond some doorway where I dared not enter. At such places I awaited its return with trepidation and awe, for I could not help wondering at the temerity of the presence, so like myself and yet so unlike, in daring to enter where my own feet feared to tread. It seemed also as if purposely I was led to the place and to the men where and before whom I most dreaded to appear, to officers where once I had transacted business, to men with whom I had financial dealings. Throughout the day I pursued the presence, and at evening saw it disappear beyond the portals of a hostelry famous for its cheer and good living. I sought the pyramid of casks and shavings. Not again in my dreams that night did I encounter the better self, for that is what I have named it, albeit when, perchance, I awakened from slumber, it was near to me, ever wearing, that calm smile of kindly derision which could not be mistaken for pity, nor for condolence in any form. The contempt of it stung me sorely. The second day was not unlike the first, being a repetition of its forerunner, and I was again doomed to wait outside during the visits which the presence paid to places where I fain would have gone had I possessed the requisite courage. It is fear which deporteth a man's soul from his body, and rendereth it a thing to be despised. Many a time I essayed to address it, 
but annunciation rattled in my throat, unintelligible, and the day closed like its predecessor. This happened many days, one following another, until I ceased to count them, albeit I discovered that constant association with the presence was producing an effect upon me, and one night, when I awoke among the casks and discerned that he was present, I made bold to speak, albeit with marked timidity. "'Who are you?' I ventured to ask, and I was startled into an upright posture by the sound of my own voice, and the question seemed to give pleasure to my companion, so that I fancied there was less of derision in his smile when he responded. "'I am that I am,' was the reply. "'I am he who you have been. I am he who you may be again. Wherefore do you hesitate? I am he who you were.' and whom you have cast out for other company. I am the man made in the image of God, who once possessed your body. Once we dwelt within it together, not in harmony, for that can never be, nor yet in unity, for that is impossible, but as tenants in common who rarely fought for full possession. Then you were a puny thing, but you became a selfish and exacting until I could no longer abide with you, Wherefore I stepped out. There is a plus entity and a minus entity in every human body that is born into the world. Whichever one of these is favoured by the flesh becomes dominant. Then is the other inclined to abandon its habitation temporarily or for all time. I am the plus entity of yourself. You are the minus entity. I own all things. You possess naught. That body which we both inhabited is mine, but it is unclean, and I will not dwell within it. Why do you pursue me? I next asked of the presence. You have pursued me, not I you. You can exist without me for a time, but your path leads downward, and the end is death. Now that you approach the end, you debate if it be not politic that you should cleanse your house and invite me to enter step aside from the brain and the will cleanse them of your presence only on that condition will i ever occupy them again the brain has lost its power i faltered the will is a weak thing now can you repair them listen said the presence and he towered over me while i cowered abjectly at his feet to the plus entity of a man all things are possible the world belongs to him, is his estate. He fears naught, dreads naught, stops at naught. He asks no privileges, but demands them. He dominates and cannot cringe. His requests are orders. Opposition flees at his approach. He levels mountains, fills in vales, and travels on an even plain where stumbling is unknown. Thereafter I slept again, and when I awoke, I seemed to be in a different world. The sun was shining, and I was conscious that birds twittered above my head. My body, yesterday trembling and uncertain, had become vigorous and filled with energy. I gazed upon the pyramid of casks in amazement that I had so long made use of it for an abiding place, and I was wondering conscious that I had passed my last night beneath its shelter. The events of the night recurred to me, and I looked about me for the presence. It was not visible, but anon I discovered, cowering in a far corner of my resting place, a puny, abject, shuddering figure, 
distorted of visage, deformed of shape, dishevelled and unkempt of appearance. It tottered as it walked, for it approached me piteously. But I laughed aloud, mercilessly. Perchance I knew then that it was the minus entity, and that the plus entity was within me, albeit I did not then realise it. Moreover, I was in haste to get away. I had no time for philosophy. There was much for me to do, much. Strange it was that I had not thought of that yesterday, but yesterday was gone, today was with me, it had just begun. As had once been my daily habit, I turned my steps in the direction of the tavern where formerly I had partaken of my meals. I nodded cheerily as I entered, and smiled in recognition of return salutations. Men who had ignored me for months bowed graciously when I passed them on the thoroughfare. I went to the washroom, and from there to the breakfast table. Afterwards, when I passed the taproom, I paused a moment and said to the landlord, "'I will occupy the same room that I formerly used, if, perchance, you have it at disposal. If not, another will do as well, until I can obtain it.' Then I went out and hurried with all haste to the cooperage. There was a huge wain in the yard, and men were loading it with casks for shipment. I asked no questions, but seizing barrels began hurling them to the men who worked atop of the load. When this was finished I entered the shop. There was a vacant bench. I recognised its disuse by the litter on its top. It was the same at which I had once worked. Stripping off my coat, I soon cleared it of impedimenta. In a moment more I was seated, with my foot on the vice-lever, shaving staves. It was an hour later when the master workman entered the room, and he paused in surprise at sight of me. Already there was a goodly pile of neatly shaven staves besides me, for in those days I was an excellent workman. There was none better, but, alas, now age hath deprived me of my skill. I replied to his unasked question with a brief but comprehensive sentence. I have returned to work, sir. He nodded his head and passed on, viewing the work of other men, albeit anon he glanced askance in my direction. Here endeth the sixth and last lesson to be acquired, although there is more to be said, since from that moment I was a successful man, and ere long possessed another shipyard, and had acquired a full competence of worldly goods. I pray you who read, heed well the following admonitions, since upon them depend the word, success, and all that it implies. Whatsoever you desire of good is yours. You have but to stretch forth your hand and take it. Learn that the consciousness of dominant power within you is the possession of all things attainable. Have no fear of any sort or shape, for fear is an adjunct of the minus entity. If you have skill, apply it. The world must profit by it, and therefore you. Make a daily and nightly companion of your plus entity. If you heed its advice, you cannot go wrong. Remember, philosophy is an argument. The world, which is your property, is an accumulation of facts. Go, therefore, and do that which is within you to do. Take no heed of gestures which would beckon you aside. Ask of no man permission to perform. The minus entity requests favours. The plus entity grants them. Fortune waits upon every footstep you take. Seize her, bind her, hold her, 
for she is yours. She belongs to you. Start out now with these admonitions in your mind. Stretch out your hand and grasp the plus, which may be you have never made use of, save in grave emergencies. Life is an emergency most grave. Your plus entity is beside you now. Cleanse your brain and strengthen your will. It will take possession. It waits upon you. Start tonight. Start now upon this new journey. Be always on your guard. Whichever entity controls you, the other hovers at your side. Beware lest the evil enter, even for a moment. My task is done. I have written the recipe for success. If followed, it cannot fail. Wherein I may not be entirely comprehended, the plus entity of whomsoever reads will supply the deficiency, and upon that better self of mine I place the burden of imparting to generations that are to come the secret of this all-pervading good, the secret of being what you have it within you to be. The End So what were your thoughts on that story? I thought it was quite interesting, especially since it was written in 1900. Um, I apologise uh, for any words I got wrong, and if there are any cock-ups left in the story, I went through it and tried to cut out the gaps and any cock-ups. A few words are tripped over, I didn't actually try to re-record or look them up. Um, but the story itself, and uh, the main takeaway from it, is that um, positive and negative entity that dwells within you. Uh, I think that's a handy lesson to bear in mind. You know, there's loads of ways of saying these things, isn't there? Um, about overcoming fear and anxiety and apprehension. And, uh, you know, that was a good little story that told you to think that, you know, you can... When you're going for success, don't let these things hold you back. Don't let that negative entity do it for you. Which is basically what I uh, help people with, is working on those negative aspects of your own personality to help you to achieve the successes you want in life, whether that's financial or any other kind of success. How you define success is subjective, so... Um, that's my kind of mission in life, is to help people overcome these negative entities, you could say. Well, I've got to go and look for another book in the public domain to start next week. Um, you know, we had James Allen's, which was a fairly shortish one. Then we had the next one, uh, The Power of Thought, which went on for quite a few weeks. This one was a two-weeker. I'm going to look for something that's a little bit longer now so that I can pre-record them and hopefully take me up to Christmas. So uh, thanks for listening. I hope you're listening to my main podcast. Hopefully I am recording them by this point. And uh, that you'll join me next Monday. Take care for now.